Welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where today will be part two of our discussion of The Perils of the Perfect Ashler, an article on the Midnight Freemason by Worshipful Brother Robert E. Jackson. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Today on the Working Tools Podcast, we once again have our, our usual full complement of, uh, I almost said officers, of hosts. So we have uh, myself, very worshipful brother Matthew Apple. I'm a member of Mill Creek Lodge, number 243, here in Montlake Terrace, Washington. Very worshipful brother David Colbeth, who is a member of uh, King Solomon Lodge, number 60, in Auburn, Washington. Worshipful brother Jaron Dunham of Penticton 147 in Penticton, British Columbia. And Worship Brother Stephen Chung of Prince Charles Lodge 153 in Kelowna, British Columbia. And we are again talking about the, this article, The Perils of the Perfect Ashler, um, as part of our series of article discussions. It's on the Midnight Freemasons website. There will be links in the show notes to it. Uh, it's by Worship Brother Robert E. Jackson, who is a Mason in, I think, Massachusetts, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe this thing should have been titled the perils of trying to become a perfect Ashler rather than, you know, the perils of the perfect Ashler. Cause I think, you know, we talk about it being, or he talks about the journey and um, uh, it seems like a lot of internal struggle. So <clears throat> I think that'd probably be a, a much more appropriate title, um, you know, but on, as we go, as we're continuing on, it says, looking for the inst instructional books as I was yet, not yet the master builder. If only I could attain enlightenment. Well, really, enlightenment is received with every piece of work done properly. Properly is important. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, if you participate in Freemasonry, you get enlightened every time uh, you participate. That's the way I see it. Okay. I'm going to throw a quote in here that I just, I've been sitting on for a while. Adam Savage has the best quote for all of this stuff. And it's, there is no failure, just input. And I think that, I is, like that is the best way to approach everything. As, you know, if it's, if it's not that you didn't do it, but you now know what didn't work when you tried. Yep. Tom, I think Thomas Edison had a similar quote. You know, it's, I didn't fail a thousand times to make a light bulb. I discovered a thousand things that don't work or something along those lines. Yeah. And I, I made a note on the bottom of this one. The last note I made was perfect. Being a perfectionist, uh, we're our own worst enemy, uh, especially when we're uh, trying to keep a level head and, and straight thoughts uh, um, along our journey. Says the guy who just said your ritual has to be perfect. Well, yeah, like, like, a, past, like a good past master <laughs> with a <Right>? waggy finger. <laughs> <clears throat> well, if you do not deliver your work well, right, uh, then you might not be prepared to 
learn the lessons from it because here an example so if guys some guys are, are really good at just reciting stuff uh from memory but not really understanding it they're not talking with emphasis they're not, they're, they're, you can tell that they're just regurgitating it from memory they might not really understand it you have to um connect with what you're saying in a lot of these lectures in order to be able to uh, receive the lesson that's actually there for you, in my humble opinion. Right, but I, I think going back to what you were saying, that, that Deitch, what you were saying before you just said that, <laughs> was, but, which I totally agree with, each time you sit and hear these words, each time you contemplate them, each time you take them on board and, and hold them as part of yourself, is is a step in that direction and you know it's you you're never going to be the perfectly shiny stone that comes out of the rock tumbler or whatever but you could hey, be i'm working on it you see it's shiny <laughs> a rock tumbler that explains a few things <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's it's each time you take it to heart i think is a step in, along that journey i i wholeheartedly agree with you um, so we closed out the last episode, Steve, you were saying about, um, there was a part of the article you disagreed with about the, uh, the present. And yeah. Yeah. Thanks uh, for reminding me of that. Um, at one part here, after he talks about a simple statement, that goal that was putting me back, uh, into mind time and removed me from the now. One of my favorite lines from this book so far is, and this is his quote, the past is the past, and there isn't anything that can be done to change that. This I agree with. The, as it continues, the future is the future, and whatever happens will happen. That I don't agree with. You can affect the outcome of certain situations. So it's not necessarily ever what happens. If you, if you just live life uh, as it comes and instead of trying to affect directional change, then sure, that, that will be the case every single time. Well, what happens, happens, right? You know, it's nothing I can do about it. That's because you didn't do anything about it. You didn't do anything to affect the outcome of it, right? Um, you know, I've tried to uh, instill these, these thoughts into my teenagers. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought that it didn't work, but you could tell years later some of the things they've said now that they're 30, and so on uh hey it did sink in you know um <clears throat> because uh it is a, it is a world where if you really try you can affect the outcome of every situation and hopefully to your desired outcome I, I, I know it's a little machiavellian right but um so more to be but I think what he's really trying to say there is you can't like the, the future will be what it will be. You may be able to affect it, but the present is when you will be doing that change, which is why he's saying you need to focus on the present. What you do now is what is what will affect change possibly in the future, but it's not a guarantee and stressing out over whether it will or will not happen is, is not the point. The point is to do the work now, hoping that the work you do now will affect 
It will bring you the outcome that you desire. Yeah, that's hoping that you get the uh, desired outcome. But it is without question what you do now will help will help shape the future. Without question, the future is made up of the past efforts, right? So, well, no, but that's but and that's what he's saying is that the past can't be changed. You can't go backwards. The future will be whatever the future will be. The now is what you need to focus on because what you fo- because it, you're and you're, you're you may be able to affect the future. But it won't be in the future you affect it. It will be in the now. And which is why he's talking about focusing on the now. Do what you can now, and that's all you know will be possible. I can accept that. Yeah. So it's it, his statement actually is true, you know, and I think quite, I don't know what the word I want to look for is there. It, 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 I was going to say lovely, but, you know. That's not quite the word I want. I think the element of not stressing about it is also important. Yes, I, I agree with Steve that you can have influence not only through the I'm, I'm waving my hands, heebie-jeebie, whatever you want to call it, the 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 electrons and the the belief in that you can direct the future, uh, but also that I think Steve alluded to earlier is that you can affect the future by your thought process. Hey, instead of when that guy cuts me off, instead of laying on my horn and jumping out of my car and going beat on his window, (laughs) I can affect the future by not doing those things. (laughs) And so your actions, while you can also project what you want to happen in the future, what you do as Jared alludes to what you do now will affect the future as well because what if you just sit on the couch and play video games all day now maybe you'll be a video game star but <laughs> you're probably not going to improve yourself and i think that's the path of what he's talking about. and you also can't worry about the future again going back to that you can't worry about what is or isn't because as jared said it's going to be what it's going to be even though we think we can change it or affect it there's lots of things at play there and there's i i've been reading some stoic stuff lately about or stuff about stoicism i suppose more accurately and uh one of the and one of the things that i was reading reminded me of something i read long ago in the seven habits of highly effective people anybody read that book i i thought it was really cool at the time I, there's still parts of it that echo in my mind once in a while and they talk about the the circle of was it the circle of concern and your circle of control and your circle of concern, things that affect you, is, is huge. You know, um, whatever. If there's a nuclear war, that'll that'll certainly affect you. But it's not something you can control necessarily. You can control a much smaller subset of that. And those are the things you should work for. Me worrying about whether or not there's going to be a nuclear war, not something I can affect. Or an earthquake is not something I can affect. I can affect my circle of control. Maybe I can ha- be ready for if there is an earthquake, you know, if I think that that might happen, I can have some water on hand and I can have some, whatever, freeze-dried food or whatever, but that's that I can control. And worrying about whether or not it happens is is not productive. Absolutely, and I, I think we have some curious tools that talk about circumscription of, of things within our control. <laughs> now, I know we will allude to ideas of what we're how we're supposed to maintain ourselves or how we're supposed to act but i also think it alludes to exactly what you're talking about matt things you things that we can control and then things that you can't control are outside of that circle or maybe a bigger circle 
Maybe that's how that's where the uh, serenity prayer came from. I, you, the yes, I the serenity prayer is actually kind of a cool thing. It started. It, it's one of those things everyone thinks has been around forever, but it only came. I forget it was the '30s or something. It was written. It's not. It's not as old as as at least I thought it was. Maybe maybe I'm yeah, the only one. You know the the wisdom that it that it exudes makes one believe that it would have been a much older um, statement or, or, or piece written, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, it was it was in the early 30s that that was originally um, written. To be clear, but, for those of you listening to this in the far future, that's the the 1930s, not the 2030s. <laughs> This, will be, this podcast episode will no doubt echo through time into the future. Hey, I'll be happy if somebody's listening to us past the 2030s. 2030 this evening? Or... <laughs> I was just listening to a show, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, and they were they were talking about 18 something happening in 1875 or 1872 it was 150 years ago and i thought wait a minute the math doesn't work out that's older well, that's really old <laughs> that's not a recent a recent publication I, don't ever do math on live <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things uh this isn't exactly again on topic but one of the things that this article brought to my mind was long ago i read and i can't find the source for it anymore and it bugs me because i'm sure it's in one of those books back there um there was an article about um it was about the ashler and it was talking about and how it related to the trowel and so the trowel in in, at least in our ritual is used to spread the cement of brotherly love and affection to unite masons into a common group or that's not the that's not the ritual but you get the idea and the um and the article was saying that when you if your ashler is rough if you've neglected your ashler and it's you're all spiky in random directions that in order to fit you into the building of masonry, in order to fit you into society, you need a lot more mortar that you're going to have to slap on there to to get the other (laughs) stones around you to work. And the resulting structure won't be as strong because I mean, mortar isn't what buildings are made out of, right? It's the stone that the buildings are made out of. And so this, it was a, an interesting article talking about how it takes more effort and will not build as good a structure. If you, if you're not working on you, then it's going to be harder for everyone else. I guess is basically what it boils down to. So what you're telling us is we should all conform now. <laughs> yes. You will be assimilated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did not think the Borg were going to come up with this question. Well, they do fly a cube. Come on. <laughs> Is it perfect and shiny? No. <laughs> it's perfect. It's, yeah. They all get along. The beehive, by the way, another thing we should discuss. But anyway. <laughs> um, so I guess I'm, I'm trying to look at the out of the corner of my eye at the list of things I'd wanted to talk about. And I think we, I think we hit most of the, artic- of the points that I was thinking about from this article. Is there anything particularly salient that that you guys were thinking of at the end he talks about that he still struggles right every day even writing the paper he was diverted back to thinking about past behaviors and again can't change the past right and that he is in a constant process obsessive quest for the perfect ashler Uh, just as a side note one of the things 
that was alluded to me was that the only perfect ashler is when you're at a funeral, a Masonic funeral, right? The idea that the Mason has passed on and then he becomes quote unquote perfect. I initially, I accepted that and I thought, eh, okay. I mean, I get it, but I, was he perfect when he died? I don't know. <laughs> what, what's perfection? But, but he, you know, he talked about he can be a better brother, Scottmaster, father, husband, friend, and, and that the kindness and love you put together with others never last if you don't have kindness and love for yourself. And so it, alluded, it reminded me of, I think, have I told you the story about the steward, the airplane steward, and how they talk about if you, if, if the, you know, this, you know, when you get on the airplane and the, they say, if there's a sudden drop in pressure, the mask will drop from the ceiling, put your mask on first, and then assist somebody else. And there was a leader that talked about that idea that what if you, why do they, why do they say, put your mask on first? Because if you don't, you can't help the person next to you because you'll be dead. So you've got to help yourself first. You've got to work on yourself first before you can help somebody else. And so that's, that's the comment I have on there is put your mask on first or help yourself first. Try to work on perfecting your Ashler or use a little less mortar. <laughs> with that trial there's a author that i i read and one of the lines that he always uses that um self-care is not selfish is that if you don't look after yourself you know you're no use to anyone else and i think i i i got out of this article is that that's what the author just needs to he's on the right path because he realizes that He's not perfect and that he does have work to do, but he needs to realize that and that he may know it. Well, no one's ever perfect. I mean, perfection is not possible. It's as I, as I've said previously, it's, it's the journey there. It's this, it's the chipping away at your rough Ashler to take, remove a little bit more of that roughness from you so that, you know, you are, I don't know, less abrasive to the people around you or I, don't remember that and I'm not even sure if that even works for me because I'm exceedingly abrasive. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's a little bit, a little bit if you know, if if today I'm a little bit better than I was yesterday, then I've done my job. And I think exactly. interestingly, this article is actually exemplifying that. He is he is in himself pointing out to himself and, and to us, I suppose, but to himself that this is a problem, and he's pointing out to himself how he's working on the problem. I think I think that it's actually sort of meta deep something there <laughs> there's a good word yeah. for that that i can't think of but deep deeply insightful at, at different levels for sure and he, he he loses that he blames himself for not communicating his intentions on things or when he when he has a project or an idea and so again it's it's that self yes he's trying to improve himself yes he's trying to get his message across but then when it doesn't happen, he's kind of going back and blaming himself again. And you have to get past that. I don't know if there's, I don't, that's one, I've been trying to be positive this whole time about ideas, but that is one thing I would agree with Steven that it's a little bit, a little bit lost in negativity in some points. And even at the very end, how he, even though in writing the story, he talks about that he's kind of reminiscing on those things, but you just have to, move on really i don't know any other way to put it and it sounds like i mean he's he's 
at least if, as far as I can tell, obviously I haven't lived his life. He lives 3,000 miles from here. But he's working on these things. You know, he's whatever, contemplating and going to therapy and that sort of stuff. And I think that's that's important. He's making those steps, just like we were talking about. Yeah, it's a, it's a transformation process. Right. And he, he alludes yeah. a little bit to alchemy. We, we didn't really get into alchemic, alchemic side of things. Did I see Jared's eyebrows raised? No. <laughs> uh, alchemy, where to begin? <laughs> the thing that was interesting to me that I hadn't thought about the idea of alchemy and the transmutation, the, the development of yourself and the development of some from one thing to another was that the rough ashlar, the stone, the idea that it comes from earth and becomes something else right become something new and fresh or whatever to be fitted and we as humans right with the idea from dust to dust ashes to ashes dust to dust so we as humans also come from the earth and are also fitted and try to make ourselves better that was an interesting correlation on um, i always right. like the idea of us improving ourselves in building a better society like we're trying to build a better temple and that's a very important point that we need to always put forward is that going out like improving ourselves improves society because we but but how do I want to say this? Because we are part of society? Well, not, not so much that we're, I mean, we're always part of society, but by chipping away those rough pieces of ourselves and polishing our understanding of ourselves and our society around us makes society run more efficiently. Is that where I'm going with this? I think so. Well, I, I, I pulled out the morals and dogma just to see what it might talk about. And it alluded, and this, of course, that's an older text, and so it has no idea what the current <laughs> state of government is, but <laughs> but, the, but it alluded that the rough ashlar is the people, and the perfect ashlar is the government. And the idea is that it's in its perfected state, it has a balance and order to it, and it, it was meant to be that it was that and it was representative of the people so it came from the people the rough ashler became you know it, it, the, the perfect ashler being the government is can only come from the rough ashler it can't come from something else it can't create itself it comes from the people and is representative of the people and so it was interesting to think about that again i i, I wouldn't necessarily con <laughs> correlate the government with the perfect ashler these days <laughs> but it was an interesting correlation I don't know that the I don't know that I would ever have made that comparison. I think the government is more a reflection of. <laughs> of uh, but it it but, is actually an interesting concept when you think of the, our, if the government is a perfect ashlar and us removing pieces of smoothing out our rough ashlars, it actually makes sense because we take. Um, uh, like if we think about how our society now versus our society fifty years ago versus our society a hundred years ago. And how our government reacts to issues that would that come up, we yeah. are actually improving and perfecting that which governs us and is created by us. And yep, is a, con a constant, to us. a constant improvement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just like I, I was listening to the podcast too, I was saying that was that uh, like the Constitution 
while the Constitution is a relatively perfect document, it's not because there's been many amendments. And so it's not a perfect document either. So I, I like that idea that the Ashlers represent society. I like and, that, Jared. And, and that document was written by humans and, and we're inherently imperfect. So how could it be? I don't know. This requires more thought. I, that, well, that would... and, well, no, but the thing is, but it's and actually, that no, that is actually an excellent because <clears throat> we are constant. I shouldn't say we because it's not my constitution. We have something different up here, but it is. I mean, there hasn't been an amendment in a while, but whenever the society, whenever society sees a roughness in their ashlar that needs to be smoothed out, they do fix it. They do change it. Uh, that I mean, it, is it an ideal um, analogy? No, but it is a good one. And it's similar to the modernization of masonry. While we can't, while we talk about no innovations, <laughs> things like that, masonry has changed over its 400, 500, how many ever years it's been around. It's changed dramatically. It's not the same as it was before. It, it's, it is at the core probably similar, but there's been a lot of changes perfection you know maybe maybe there'll be a modern ritual someday matt <laughs> oh you're that gonna get, get jared to drive across the border just so he can smack <laughs> me again <laughs> um yeah uh, i there's a lot of stuff here yeah for sure as far as the ashlers go and this this one brother's journey and uh, the, one one last thing I, I don't mean to get it here right at the end of the show necessarily and I don't want to necessarily go down another rabbit hole but it was another piece I highlighted was that he he talked about the improvement process and his obsession with it like an addiction and I thought oh that's very interesting you, Jared you talked to, about the psychology of things and about the uh, that that idea of analyzing things and to some extent, if if you if you are trying to improve yourself too much, if you will, or too constant focus on it, and thinking that you can change things, or or going the opposite direction, I think the idea is that you you think you can change it, and then when you can't, then you go into this depression state, and it's like an addiction. Well, yeah, because okay. it's that whole when you focus on perfection as the ultimate goal and you when you fail it it's because we all it's it's our fault we failed it wasn't that possibly the goal was unattainable or possibly something we didn't take into account out there that we can't control stopped us from doing it um and it it, it sends that spiral down uh, it, it's interesting because i've heard of you always hear the story of the bodybuilder who, you know, you, I, you look at them and they are, they, they are an Adonis, you know, and, but when they see themselves, they see that, that, that their one calf isn't as symmetrical as their other one. Was, Arnold Schwarzenegger's biography. I, this is going down a rabbit hole, but I got to do it anyway. I was, I read Arnold Schwarzenegger's biography a few years, a couple of years ago. And it was, in, it, it made me appreciate bodybuilders, what they do more than I, I mean, they're not just you know going out pumping iron and you know making themselves pretty because he talks about his calves and how when you're in a competition the fact that your calves are not quite symmetrical 
can lose you points. And I could, and this is where we start getting into the the issue with the perfect dashers that, at, you know, there's always something more that isn't quite right with the Ashler. And if, if we're always focused on the flaw and not, you know, the journey. Oh, oh, there's a quote. Okay. Another, another quote I got from another, oh, no, another other that I read. This is beautiful. Is he always talks about measure the, measure the gain, not the gap. I don't know if you heard that. Whereas you may not, like if you set a goal, you may fall short of that goal. And you shouldn't beat yourself up for falling short of that goal because you have actually gained something, even if you didn't gain the entire goal. And this is, I think this is whenever people talk about their perfect Ashler, and this is always the point that seems to be glossed over is that we're, they, they worry too much about the end result and not about how the work they put in to get there and whether or not it has been enough to make them a better person, which in most cases it usually is. Anytime that you try to improve yourself even a little bit makes you better than you were before. Right. And, you know, I, I got to give this, this uh, worshipful brother, Robert Jackson, credit for putting it all down, putting this part of his journey down on paper and putting it out there for people because whether it's a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, there's so many different angles and lessons in this document itself that I, I, I'm sure it will be a benefit to young Masons coming up through their journey. And hopefully <clears throat> um, in their early years in Masonry, they get um, enlightened into documents like this so that they can be cognizant of um, thinking about the future part of their journey and, and um, how, it, how it can have an effect. Right. So I think that between what Jared and Steve just said, I, I, I don't think there's a better way to sum up this article. The, 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 the perils of the perfect Ashler, the tyranny of the perfect over the progress that we can make in our, our lives every day is, is, is a powerful thing. And this brother was as like Steve just said, was, um, his willingness to put forth his journey and put it in a public forum like this and, and help us out by helping himself and showing how he did is helping himself uh, is a powerful thing. And so with that, um, I guess we want to thank Worship Brother Robert Jackson for, for writing this article, The Perils of the Perfect Ashler on Midnight Freemasons. And I want to encourage all of you, um, if you have some thoughts on the article, please uh, put some comments in. On we were, we're happy, always happy to see what people think about, about our inane ramblings and about the good stuff that we read. <laughs> so if you're a... Uh, if please put some stuff down there and let us know what you think. And with that, on behalf of Steve and Jared and David and myself, we thank you all for listening and look forward to talking again next time on the working tools podcast. Goodbye.